today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Obviously, still a lot of questions, still a lot of angst about uh, the announcement from General Motors uh, late Sunday that uh, they are going to be closing the Oshawa plant uh, and plants in the U.S., we should mention at the same time. Uh, and the question a lot of people were asking, including some of the, the workers that, you know, are still, you know, wondering what's going to happen to them after the, you know, the end of 2019, is if General Motors is is simply going to move and, and pivot towards making electric cars and, and alternative energy, why can't they just do that in Oshawa? Why can't they just keep those people employed? Joining us to talk about this and the implications of the move is uh, Wayne Luchuk. Wayne uh, is a Leona Enrico Henry Mancinelli Professor in Global Labor Studies at McMaster University. Uh, Wayne, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. Morning, Bill. Let me ask you right off the top. Uh, we know that there's been downsizing in, in the auto industry. Uh, the, the Oshawa plant's a classic example. Back in the 80s, there were 23,000 people there. I think it's 2,500 working there right now. But did anybody see this coming? Um, well, as you as you pointed out, this this plant is not operating at nearly the capacity used to. It you know, only 15 years ago they were producing 800,000 vehicles there. Last year they barely produced 100,000. So this is a plant that has been shrinking uh, over the years, uh, and there are a lot of questions have been raised about its sustainability. So in that way. Um, it's uh, shocking that this is happening, but perhaps not completely surprising. Well, when you look at marketing, too, and, and we've seen the numbers on this over the last couple of years, I guess, now, Wayne, uh, we're not buying sedans in, in Canada. And for that matter, not so much in North America, at least not North American-made sedans. I mean, uh, I understand the, the German cars are, are still rather popular at some demographic age groups and some financial groups, but the reality is, is we seem to have gravitated towards trucks and SUVs and and. Uh, that's not the the prime, I guess, product that they make in Oshawa. Well, you know, the Oshawa plant is a flex plant, so it means they can produce cars and trucks on on the same line, uh, and so it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty sophisticated, advanced uh, uh, plant. And if they were given a product, they could easily make uh, SUVs. Uh, that's they're just not being given any product. That's the problem. Well, and we've seen that with the Ford plant in Oakville, haven't we? I mean, how many incarnations has that plant gone through? When thought, oh, they're not going to make that vehicle anymore. Oh my goodness! And there was there were rumors about the Ford plant closing more than once. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the you know they they obviously committed to that location and they've been able to, to sustain that. Well, I mean that's the the reality of the auto industry these days. Uh, the life of a of a product is is relatively short, and so they're always negotiating for the for the next next product. Uh, and there's always that uncertainty on the horizon, absolutely. So what what happens in a situation like this where uh, the whole industry, I guess, Wayne, is, is is moving towards alternatives here? I mean, we, we know that we're, we're not going to be using uh, combustion engines forever. Uh, we do need them now, which is why, obviously, we still have to, to have the, those sorts of technologies, and we still have to extract uh, that, that kind of fossil fuel from the ground. But there is obviously a, an intention and I think a move right now to alternative and, and probably probably electric, a hybrid maybe to start, but electric eventually. Uh, but it seems as if that commitment all of a sudden is 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 the, at the core, at least that's what General Motors is telling us, that that's at the core of the decision to, uh, with the Oshawa plant. Well, my understanding, again, I'm not an insider in, uh, in terms of how uh, GM is running its business, but my understanding is they actually don't have the product yet that they hope to make. So part of this is to buy some time to develop uh, cars that, that are electric uh, that they can then start producing. But right now, they, they don't have the vehicles under, under develop, designed yet to start making them, and that's the challenge. So they're going to sell us a lot of cars that m- use gas and hopefully bank away the profits and reinvest it in, in designing new uh, non-gas-using cars. 
So you got to figure the research for that's already been going on for some time, I would think, anyway. They may not be talking to us about it, but you got to figure it's happening. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think that's any secret that all the companies are exploring alternatives to the, to the, to the gasoline engine. Uh, it's just that they haven't yet come up with the, with the solution. And you know, what they've got now are cars that are, are pretty expensive and have a limited, limited range. So if you're going 300 kilometers or more in a trip, you are facing challenges. Which happens on a, a a fairly regular basis here in Canada. I mean, it's I understand that city driving is city driving, but I mean, you know, if you're a skier, you, you're going up to ski country. If you're in you know, summertime, you want to travel to Ottawa or to someplace else to visit family or friends or something like that. We we, I, I guess, have to ask ourselves: Are we ready for electric cars here? Well, the companies aren't ready for us. Put it that way. I think I think people would be open to electric cars, but right now the 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 car that we need is just not available in the showrooms. So that that's ongoing work, I mean, and I understand the limitations. And I think you just characterized it perfectly. That you know, I don't want to go if I'm going up north someplace to Ottawa, for instance. I don't want to have to stop in Cornwall for two and a half hours to charge my car. Uh, you know, long enough on the highway as it is. But you got to figure at some point, Wayne, that they'll develop the technology to to tackle that problem. No, absolutely. I think it's. Uh, I think they will. Absolutely. So what what happens in Oshawa now? Uh, you, you know, the reaction. I think this caught an awful lot of people off guard. Both the federal and provincial governments say they didn't really get much of a sniff of this until Sunday afternoon, uh, which didn't give them a whole lot of time to react. Uh, I don't know if they're scrambling in Ottawa right now to try to find something to try to appease General Motors. It, 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 you know, no, I know you, neither you, you or I have insider information on this, but is, is it worthy to have a discussion with General Motors right now to say, wait a second, rethink this? Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think the, you know, General Motors sells a lot of cars here in Canada, and I think we should be holding them to the fire to make cars here in Canada. That was the basis of the auto pact. And so with the closing of this Oshawa plant, they will fall below that uh, that benchmark they will sell more cars here than they make here and so i think uh, there is a justification saying wait a minute here uh you know what's your commitment to us if you're going to we're going to buy your cars you need to make some cars here is it cost of production is that a, a major factor here uh, it's always a, it's always a factor but it's not the only factor there's also quality issues uh there's also the issue of access to the skilled labor to make these modern plants work so I think there's a lot of other issues on the table that need to be addressed as well. But don't don't, don't they? We already have that skilled labor in Oshawa. Absolutely, it's one of Canada's advantages that you know we do have a well-trained, healthy workforce, uh, and we're able to to uh, use these new technologies to their maximum capacity. So, you know, we certainly have some advantages. Uh, obviously, it's it's tough for us to compete with a jurisdiction like Mexico, where the wages are significantly lower, uh, and you know their technical skills are improving all the time, but. The, can, there, are, there are still some good reasons to produce cars in Canada. So where, do, where does this discussion go? Uh, and again, I know that Jerry Dias met with the Prime Minister yesterday. Uh, we don't really know what the, the result of that is just yet. I know that uh, the Prime Minister is speaking to the media right now as you and I are having a discussion, but we don't know that there's a, a commitment here. Now, back in 2009, as we recall, when the recession was just, uh, I guess, decimating the auto industry, uh, Prime Minister Harper and, and Premier Dalton McGuinney teamed up here and, and, and basically a huge infusion of cash, which in many people's minds saved the auto industry. Are we at that stage yet? Well, this is, this is one plant. This is not the entire industry. In 2008, the, the entire industry was under risk, so we were talking there 100,000 jobs. This is not to suggest that it's not serious in Oshawa, and certainly for the people in Oshawa, it's very serious, but we're not talking about a dismantling of the entire industry at, at the present moment. But is this the thin edge of the wedge, as some people are very fearful of? 
Well, I, you know, I don't think it's any secret that the, the auto sector and manufacturing has, have been under competitive pressure for the last decade. Uh, you know, how they, how they emerge from this is, 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 a, is an open question. Certainly as we move towards more sophisticated, advanced manufacturing systems, uh, then there are reasons to believe that the, the advantage of having low wages is reduced because you're not really using a lot of workers on the line to, to, to assemble things. What you've got is a lot of robots that need to be maintained by workers, and the, and the more skilled they are, the more return you're going to get from those very, very expensive robots that you're putting in the plants. Well, and that's that's one of the anomalies, of course, of the, the Trump rhetoric down in the States that he's going to bring all those jobs back. A lot of those jobs don't exist anymore. Well, yeah, that's right. I don't want to. I don't want to comment on Trump. There you are. <laughs> well, yeah, we we could be there for the rest of the day just doing that. But the reality is, is that obviously the, there's a changing dynamic here. What about that trained workforce, though, Wayne? With that happening, and and especially with these 2,500 families now that are wondering where they're going to be working January 1st of 2020. Yep. Well, certainly there are, there are a, a number of workers in that plant who are the trades workers. Who, I mean, they have portable skills, and they, they likely will be able to put, find another job. Whether they'll find another job that's quite as good, uh, pays as well as the one in, at General Motors is, is another question, because you know, GM pays its trades workers quite well. But I think there are a lot of workers who are working on the line uh, who have skills that are less uh, portable, and certainly for them, you know, the, the job prospects of you know, replicating what they have right now are, are a bit bleak. So how do we as a society, and I guess more specifically as a government, uh, tend to move policies to try to create uh, some sort of environment where those people that are going to be left out in the cold uh, still to give them some hope, I guess, retraining programs, things of that nature? Well, I think that's exactly right, and it's, it's something that Canada does very poorly, to be very honest with you. Every once in a while when there's a, a big shutdown like this, the government moves in, into action, and, and, and sometimes these workers do get some retraining, but, in, but there are a lot of workers that are constantly being uh, displaced by you know, smaller firms, and we just do a bad job of retraining. You know, compared to the, to the Danish, uh, we invest about half as much in retraining as they do, and they've made a real commitment to saying, if you lose your job, you're going to get retrained so you have another job, so the cost of technical change uh, doesn't fall on, on workers who are getting displaced. The cost of that is absorbed by society as a whole because society as a whole is, is, ad- is gaining from this technical change. That's what's making us a more productive society. But we shouldn't impose the cost of that on a, a small group of workers who, who lose their jobs for no reason, uh, that, no fault of their own. So why aren't we adopting something like that? I mean, it sounds like a, the natural solution to this. Yeah, well, a lot of logical things aren't being done these days, so there you are. Well, obviously, is that, you know, in politics, a lot of the time, the, the, the biggest obstacle is short-term gain or short-term uh, cost and simply saying, you know, we, we think in four-year cycles because that's when the next election to get me re-elected is going to be, and they, they don't look too far down the road. It seems as if other jurisdictions, uh, such as the one you just mentioned, uh, have that vision to be able to say this is actually going to be a net benefit to the society and to the community in the long run. I think that's right. I think it, it requires a larger debate in society in terms of what kind of a what kind of a society do we want? I think for too many years, we've assumed that somehow the market will do its magic, and that's going to take care of everyone. And there is just simply growing evidence that the market is working very, very well for a small part of our society uh, who have, have made real gains over the last 20 years. But for the average worker, that has not been the case. And so what we're seeing is income is in- increasingly unequally distributed. Uh, job security is in- increasingly unequally distributed, despite the fact that we are becoming a richer and richer society every year. But there's a, a disconnect here, too, because I've even seen the story, and I'm sure you have, too, that, well, some of these people on the line uh, will just get pensioned off. And, and we don't know that that's happening. That's speculation at this stage. 
But uh, that that was, I think, based on the premise that, well, if you're 65, you'll probably want to take a pension. There's a lot of people that want to work past 65 these days. Some of them need to work past 65, and, and they have to be accounted for. No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I think that getting pensioned off uh, is, is, is certainly better than not having a pension, but it may not, it may not be enough for a lot of people, and, and they will be looking for other kinds of meaningful work to, to try and take up, absolutely. So there you go again when we start, have to start talking about, okay, what are the employment opportunities, what are the retraining opportunities? And, and I know that, for instance, here at Mohawk, have the, you know, they're the number one skills trade uh, uh, retraining in, in Ontario, and that's, that's a great thing to have. But at the same time, I don't know how many 55-year-olds are taking those courses or how available those courses are to those people. Well, again, I think that, that's, a, that's a good question. And one of the problems with retraining is that it often means there's time away from uh, earned employment. Uh, and, you know, if you are in your 40s and 50s and you probably still have a mortgage and maybe have kids or helping them go through school, uh, you can't take six months or a year off without pay uh, to get retrained because you need that constant flow of income. And so it's a, it's a real challenge when we've imposed the cost of retraining on workers themselves rather than taking it up in society as a whole. This needs to be part of a wider discussion then, because again, here we have governments responding to what happened on uh, on the weekend, uh, and it's short-term solutions. I will try to bridge them with UI or whatever the case might be, and they, they don't seem to be looking at the sort of solutions that you're talking about. I, you know, I, I think you're, I mean, you know, I, I think to be fair, the government is is, is thinking about these things, and, and, you know, both the federal and the provincial level, but they haven't really made yet the the commitment and the willingness to say, the economy is not what it used to be. It's a different economy, and therefore we need a whole new set of, of, of institutions around training, around how people get health benefits, how they get dental benefits, how they get pensions. That is just not working for an awful lot of people in Canada right now. Well, the reality here is that we can't look at this as a one-off, can we? I mean, this may be happening again. We don't know if it's going to happen in the auto sector, but it's likely to happen in any other manufacturing sector at some point. And why not have a program in place that can accommodate these people? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is this is the way of the future. I think there is going to be technical. The pace of technical change is picking up, and uh, and that means that more and more workers are either facing the jobs they they have or are no longer needed, or they need to move into new areas. And so we need to set up our society to allow people to do that. Well, here's hoping that uh, what happened on Monday at uh, the Oshawa plant is going to at least spark that conversation and get that going, because obviously it's the way government has to look at this. Uh, Wayne, thanks. I really do appreciate the time and the perspective on this today. My pleasure. Take care, Bill. You too. Wayne uh, Luchuk, of course, uh, with the uh, Leuna Enrico Henry Mancinelli Professor in Global Labor Studies at McMaster University. And, and it's going to happen, and we know that. This is not just a General Motors problem. Uh, it could happen at another auto plant. Uh, we're hearing that Brampton uh, may be next. The Chrysler plant there could be next. We don't know. And we've seen it happen here in this city. I mean, let's face it, 35, 40 years ago, we relied on heavy manufacturing. Burlington Street was just a lie with factory upon factory upon factory. And most, if not all of those, are gone now. And uh, it's going to continue. That's the cycle of, of business. And you've got to make some accommodation for the people that are going to get caught up and victimized by that. And governments just don't seem to be there yet. That's something you should be talking to them about. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.